Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. This is part two of my series on living in the afterlife. I'm here with myself and we're going to be talking about identity in the afterlife. It's really a crucial question because after all, once you die, your body's gone. <laughs> as, the, as the Buddhists say, try to talk but you have no tongue. Try to hear but you have no ears. Try to see but you have no eyes. Try to swallow but there's no mouth. And so, we get from this uh, a very peculiar situation. It creates enormous problems philosophically and not just philosophically, I think you have to say emotionally for the newly deceased person. Now, the irony is many people who are newly deceased don't even know that they're dead yet because it feels so alive. They don't necessarily have a body. They're not necessarily breathing, but they're there. There's a presence there. And uh, in fact, as I recall, an interesting story of uh, communication with someone who was trying to commit suicide and they just kept saying, I can't die. I want to die. I want to get it over with. But whatever I do, I'm still here. So, the, the question then is, who is here? How are you here without a body? There are certain skeptical philosophers. I mean, <laughs> that's a funny phrase, skeptical philosophers, because uh, there are so many nuances to both words, skeptical and philosopher. But in any case, there are philosophers who would say, without a body, there can be no identity. And there's a sense in which that is true. You need a boundary. You need an inside and an outside. Uh, you need a membrane, so to speak. Which is why my good friend Bernardo Castrup suggests that in order to explain the fact that we all share the one mind that sees through the eyes of every living creature, that that is our deepest level of identity, that's who we are, how do we account for the fact that we seem so separate, so individual? And he suggests it's similar to the way in which a person with multiple personality disorder commonly thought of these days as dissociative identity disorder, forms their own identity. A dissociative boundary forms. Even within a single person, you can have multiple personalities. So, why not within the great cosmic mind, there can be individual identities? And Bernardo would say, Bernardo would say that when you die and your body's gone, the dissociative boundary is probably gone as well. So, the contents of your consciousness merge into the great cosmic mind. You become one with everything. And people who have near-death experiences often report this 
greatly expanded sense of self. It does seem like they're merging with the ultimate consciousness. They feel an overpowering sense of love beyond anything in, in earthly or human. Uh, it does, it sounds wonderful. But if they merge with that great oneness, how do they ever return if they come back from a near-death experience? The body, I guess, reasserts itself in some way. But there is another way to look at it, and that is that there are many bodies. The uh, esoteric traditions, for example, talk about the astral body, the etheric body, the mental body, the causal body, the Buddhist body. There are different options. If you get into Kabbalah, they talk about Ein Sof Ur, the invisible light, that uh, ultimately we are energy beings, we are light beings. <laughs> Here we are. It seems as if for many people we are our body. And I think that is true in a way. We are our body. It is very hard to separate us from the body. But you have to admit that the body itself is probably hyperdimensional. We are looking at ourselves in three space. You're watching a video image of me. It's flat. It's a two-space image. If I were here in front of you, you'd see me in three dimensions. But what if there are infinitely many dimensions? And, and you can see it at different levels. You might see a 12-dimensional person, a 256-dimensional person, a thousand-dimensional person, a million-dimensional person, a billion-dimensional person. And so, hey, if I've got a billion dimensions, I can let go of these three. I've still got a lot left. So, there are many, many possibilities. I think it's fair to say that our human consciousness can only very dimly perceive what, what might be possible in these worlds. Rudolf Steiner, as I recall, once asked the question, how do you distinguish between one spirit from another? In his case, uh, where he talks about Ariman, the Persian deity, Angriman, as my friend Jason used to say, angry man. <laughs> and the distinction between, let us say, angry man and Jesus Christ. They must seem like very, very different spiritual entities, which would suggest if they are, in fact, separate, they have separate dissociative boundaries in the invisible world, in the supra-sensible world. Since you've used that phrase, supra-sensible world, Let's explore that for a moment. It implies that there is another world completely outside of human sensory experience, but ontologically real. And uh, for starters, doesn't that imply a, a leap, an ontological leap to postulate that there, there's some real world that we don't perceive through the senses? No. Not at all, because what we perceive most directly is our own consciousness. 
Now, most of us are not in the habit of looking deeply within. I, I've been, you know, playing, exploring with it for the last 50 years and I barely get anywhere. I mean, you can look at your dreams, you can meditate, you can have psychedelic experiences. Uh, for people who are very gifted, you might have an out of body experience. But basically, there's this great consciousness. I recall as a child hearing somebody say, you know, we are all God deep inside. And I thought to myself, what? I'm God deep inside? I never experienced, I never felt anything like that. But I think we have such vast potential. We barely barely scratch the surface of who we are. And yet, who we are is, as Carl Jung once said, ultimate metaphysical reality. The ground of being itself is who we are at a deep level, at a deep, 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 deep level. And yet, here I'm talking into a video camera right now. I'm looking at my own image. The image that you're probably seeing, I'm looking at that image right now. And that looks very discreet. That looks very separate. That looks very tiny and minuscule as compared to the ground of being, of the universe, of everything. How is it possible that we can be these little specks on a tiny little planet in a tiny little galaxy in a great big universe? And yet we can be one with everything at the same time. It superficially makes no sense. At this point, we have to begin to think about the evolution of consciousness, the evolution of what Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz called the monad. The monad is an individual self. And Leibniz suggested that monads are the fundamental units of reality, conscious monads. But, and I, I can't say that I understand Leibniz's entire thinking about what he called monadology, the study of the creation, the evolution, the, uh, what would be the word, the prognosis, so to speak, of being a monad. Because he seemed to suggest that monads go from the very tiny to the very large. That, <laughs> as one of his critics said, you mean there are millions of monads in a drop of urine? But the suggestion is that we're all on a path, all of us little monads. We are all evolving, that uh, it happens step by step. And yet it happens outside of time as, as well. So, <laughs> as Ramdas once said, there's nothing to strive for. You're already there. You're already enlightened. And yet at the same time, we're caught in time. Another apparent illusion. You know, people who have a near death experience and are in the afterlife report that in a matter of moments, maybe minutes, maybe even hours, but in, in a short time, they experience their entire lifetime 
instant by instant as if they're reliving it and not only reliving it from within the memories of themselves, but reliving their lives through the eyes of everyone else they've touched. Now, I take this literally. It's There are too many reports like this to ignore. But what it ultimately suggests is that in that realm of consciousness, in that super-sensible bardo plane where people are having the past life review, that it's vibrating, you could say, at a faster pace, much, much faster, which is why what seems like moments, minutes, maybe hours to us can be an entire lifetime experienced on that plane. It suggests uh, that when we understand it better, and I believe we're right on the cusp of beginning to explore these things in a major scientific way, we'll be able to ask how does it happen that at one level time is so different than at another level? Does it mean everything is vibrating faster? What does it mean when the theosophists, for example, talk about the etheric plane, the astral plane, the mental plane, that each in their own way is physical in some sense, in the sense of being real, but not physical the way we think of physical, made out of atoms and molecules uh, and uh, the way our physical science describes things. We don't have a good physical science description of astral material and astral bodies, but uh, perhaps yet we will. And, and why shouldn't we? Well, you're getting back to the question of identity at some level. What does it mean to have all of these possibilities of different identities? Uh, identity uh, as a human. When I die, however, Jeffrey Mishlove will be dead. Whitley Strieber's wife, Anne, who communicates with him from beyond the grave, suggests, I'm not Anne anymore. She says, but I'll always be Anne to you. So, there's a sense in which Anne is now a much larger individual, but not necessarily as large as the entire cosmos, as large as uh, all and everything. There are stages along the way that we pass through. One of the great books about all of this is called The Road to Immortality, written ostensibly by the deceased psychical researcher Frederick Myers and channeled through a, a great automatic writer, Geraldine Cummins. Now, one of the points Myers makes is that there are, I think the best word for it would be oversouls, that we are partake of not only our individual personality, but we are partake of high, a range of higher selves. And the higher self, it could be an oversoul, could be responsible, according to Myers, for anywhere from 20 to maybe a thousand persons at a time which suggests that you and I, although we think of ourselves as autonomous individuals, and uh, certainly my friend James Tunney talks a lot about the importance of spiritual sovereignty of each individual, and yet at the same sense, in the same time, uh, as we uh, call for 
our own unique individual sovereignty, which is very, very important in James' philosophy, and I think in mine as, as well, individual sovereignty, the basis of ultimate mysticism, and yet we may partake of a group soul, a group soul from our country, the, the nationality, the group soul associated with the language that we speak. So much of our mental life is conditioned by the words we use and the emotional tone of our own language. Rudolf Steiner, for example, suggests that every thought we have is a spiritual entity and our oversouls are probably projecting different thoughts into our mind, and we accept them naturally because they feel like part of us, and they probably are part of us if we're aware of this larger oversoul. It, you know, you know <laughs> the philosophical problems associated with these ideas that I am so glibly sharing with you in a brief, maybe 15-minute monologue. <laughs> The philosophical issues raised by these ideas are very deep, and to really explore them thoroughly would require a, a massive book. One could write 800 pages about the relationship between the individual ego and many different levels of oversoul. So, where does that leave us? It raises more questions than it answers, and I guess that's the point of this monologue. I think we've come to a conclusion for now. I know there's more to say. I've been jumping around a lot. I've been kind of hitting highlights here, but uh, for now, I want to thank you for being with me. Yes, thank you for being with us. Thank you.